shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakewood, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to go Inside EMS. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Chris Subalero, and I think we got a lot of great things to talk about today, and we should probably jump right into it, but before we do that, we've got to bring in my better half. Uh, my wife isn't here, so I'm going to have to say it's Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, man. I'm, I, uh, I've been wearing my uh, asbestos underoos the last few days, my Nomex, uh, Nomex undershorts uh, from all the flame we've been getting on Facebook. You know, I don't know that I can uh, you know, be your friend anymore because it seems that you're causing some controversy. You know, one of the things I think we should bring up, Kelly, is when you and I talked about doing the show, we knew mm-hmm. that we were going to be a little uh, inflammatory. We knew we were going to be yeah. a little bit... Uh, controversial we knew that we were going to get people uh pennies in a wad and, and you know what we do here is, is is you and i are sitting in the truck and, and i gotta tell you that there are people who sit in the truck that talk about these news stories just like we do and yep. you could agree with us you can disagree with us you can have your own opinions and that's really what this is all about one of the bad things is that people are passing judgment about comments we make and they're really out of context. And I would encourage people to go back and listen and, uh, you know, kind of understand what we're saying. Oh, yeah. You know, I, we had one, uh, a number of commenters who, who thought that my judgment of the medican buffalo was particularly harsh, uh, not knowing all the facts. And, and you know, to, to some extent, that's a fair assessment. People also lose sight of the fact that we cover current EMS news. And that's, it was current EMS news. And if we wait until final adjudication of the case or, or whatever uh, rural metro's internal investigation turns up even if it's uh, which may not even be publicly released then it's no longer ems news you know i was opining on the story as reported that if the guy said well if you're going to be that way i can just leave your loved one on the floor that that's not the way to act and it's not the way to act now if there's more to the story both you and I profess that if uh, if more comes to light, we hope it uh, it you know clears up uh, paramedics' actions and and uh, paints them in a better light, and we hope so. And if that happens, we'll report that when it happens. But until then, I don't think we do the EMS uh, profession any good if we just uh, ignore things that don't happen to be flattering about our profession. So you know, I think that one of the things to bring in is we've made some mistakes since we've been doing this. You know, and we've had to. And, and we've had to go back and say, you know, we, we, we reported what we had. You know, we gave our interpretation. That interpretation mm-hmm. was wrong. We've even had uh, somebody come on and, and uh, you know, to dispel the things that we thought. And, you know, the, the show really is, is our opinions. It, it yeah. doesn't reflect the opinions of EMS1. This is Chris and Kelly's opinions of, of if we were sitting in a truck mm-hmm. and the things that we were going to share. And, uh, you know, at times we're going to be entertaining. At times we're going to be thought-provoking. Mm-hmm. At times we're going to be silly. At times we're going to irritate you and tick you off. But... Any good show is going to do that, right? Yep. Any anyone will. That's it's supposed to be education and entertainment. And you know, uh, Creighton University, our, our coverage of Creighton University, uh, paramedic to R or RN to paramedic bridge program was was uh, harsher than it needed to be, not knowing all the facts uh, as they were reported. Uh, as was our uh, characterization of uh, Eastern New Mexico University uh, take on uh, the coamps. Uh, requirements for airway management education in, in EMS and both of those turned out that they were they came from flawed biased uh, reporting and when we learn better 
we had them on the show to, to talk about their programs. Uh, we manned up and, and announced uh, the retraction or the clarification just as bit as, just as loudly as we announced the uh, original story. And, and that's what we'll do in this case if, right. if it turns out that this, this medic was justified. So everybody, you know, just relax, cool your jets. Um, but, uh, and let's, uh, let's cover the news as it is today. See what we got. Right. Well, let's go ahead and change things up a little bit. You All know, right. you know, let's let's try to have a little bit of variety on the show. Not a variety uh-huh. show, but a little bit of variety. Let's go ahead and talk about our clinical issue first. And mm-hmm. and I'm going to kick it to you. I mean, you you are very thought provoking on social media, and you post a lot of things that get a lot of great comments. And and, and I think this. Humor. Right, and I think that this is one of these times that we should discuss it. So I'm going to give you the floor. I'm going to let you introduce it to the folks and uh, see what we got. Posted a, a Facebook challenge the other day just to say, you know, come up with one of those myths and urban legends we were taught in school that has somehow over the years uh, gained the weight of fact, and, and people treat them like they're like they're facts rather than what they are as myths, dogma, and urban legends. And people came up with a bunch of them. Yeah, there's got to um, be there's got to be over what 200 comments. Yeah, we got a bunch of comments, and well, I started the ball off uh, with the old nasotracheal tube or uh, nasogastric tube coiled up in the cranial vault. That's a good challenge, one. Yeah, challenge people to talk about those one in a million zebra events that have morphed into EMS uh, and medical urban legend. And I said, here's one for you. Never insert an endotracheal tube or nasogastric tube or nasopharyngeal airway in a patient with mid-face trauma because somewhere, sometimes, some dude wound up with a tube coiled up in his cranial vault, and that's going to happen to you if you try it too. And that's, that the actually, same, that's the same video we've been watching since 1960. Yeah, we, one video. One video uh, has caused that to happen. Well, actually, my, my buddy uh, Andrew Bowman actually posted a, a uh, collection of case reports on things that uh, nasal tubes that wound up in the cranial vault. And there have been a number of them. But uh, compared to the number of times we tried to insert them, I still think that they are are zebra events. The risk is not zero, but I think like anything we do in EMS, we do a proper assessment, we we weigh risk versus benefit, and then we proceed with the treatment we think is appropriate. And sometimes that is a nasotracheal tube or nasopharyngeal airway. Yes, even in someone with a possible skull fracture and mid-face trauma, and you think they're, they may have a basal or skull fracture. Sometimes you, you weigh the risk versus, or always we rate, weigh the risk versus the benefits, and then we, we proceed on with the treatment we think is necessary but people came up with some great ones there was the uh if you've even had one beer you can't refuse care if you've been drinking at all you can't refuse care how many times have you heard that noise yeah i mean that's that's one that we hear all the time but you know and i gotta ask you this and maybe you know because i really don't are there state mandates that say any alcohol on board they can't uh, give consent or they can't you know they have to uh, be taken care of as if intoxicated no, no. What I think it is, is and if there were, then that, that would probably negate any concept of the term uh, uh, legal, lo- uh, legal limits of, of uh, alcohol in your system. You know, if, if one beer made you incompetent to refuse care, then how does X amount of alcohol in your bloodstream disqualify you from operating a motor vehicle? It's all about present mental capacity and and an objective evaluation of how alcohol or or intoxicants have affected someone. And I think all that got, that came back from, we got that stupid idea because people were taught 
issues of consent and mental capacity in a very superficial manner. Um, and, and we use terms like AA and O times 4 without even understanding what they actually mean. And, and as a result, since we've had our you know, issues of consent talk to us in a very oversimplified manner, people think it's that simple and that cut and dry when it's not. Um, and that's, you know, I think that's one of the reasons we have so much myth and dogma perpetuated in EMS is because we we were taught to the lowest common denominator. We were taught to memorize a bunch of facts, not to think about them. Uh, and, and that's why that attitude persists even today when it's no longer appropriate. We've moved beyond the technician uh, classification into into thinking clinicians. And, you know, there's still a bunch of technicians out there that, that don't think any deeper than, than what was in the textbook and, and what's written in the protocols. You know, one of the things that I want to bring up, too, is the fact that just because you were taught something in school doesn't mean that you can challenge it. You know, oh, yeah. it's it's not the end-all, beat-all when you're taught things. And, and I keep doing this because I think this is the best one to bring up. You know, we're taught that the atria are superior to the ventricles. They're on top of the ventricles. They're not. The atria actually sit behind the ventricles. When we do CPR, we do CPR on the left ventricle. And if you look at the, how the heart sits into the chest... The atria are actually behind the ventricles and not on top of the ventricles. Another one that's my favorite is you hear people say that a 12-lead EKG takes 10 different views of your heart. It doesn't. The 12-lead EKG only looks at the left ventricle. I've been in classes where instructors have said that, and I've had to go up to them in a break and say, you've just given some misinformation. But I don't think that we do enough due diligence, Kelly, to go back and challenge some of the things that we heard. We have people who are standing in front of the classroom that we think are experts, and we don't challenge what they're saying. This is true. And, and, you know, I I apply that to, to lectures that I give as well. Just because someone paid me money to stand up there with a laser pointer and a PowerPoint presentation to, to teach you something doesn't mean you should accept what I say without question. Um, by all means, uh, if I tell you something, go out and challenge, uh, challenge it if you think it's BS, and I'll defend my position as best I can and, and read up and research. That's what we're supposed to do. You know, uh, a, a doctor friend said in her book that 50% of what is taught in medical school is flat out wrong. The problem is we don't know what 50% until we're uh, until well after the fact. No one knows which 50% is wrong, which 50% is right. And the only thing that, that allows us to to separate the myth from the fact is is uh, critical thinking skills and continuing clinical education. And if you're satisfied with with the level of education you got in your EMT or paramedic textbook and you've never questioned the validity of it, then you're going to be one of those technicians who's still spouting 1980s circa EMS uh, dogma uh, well into 2015. And it just, you know, you've changed your language a little bit, uh, you change your terminology, but you're still the, the monkey see, monkey do paramedic that, uh, that your class produced. Right. There were a couple that popped up on your, on your thread that had to talk about nitroglycerin, you know, that more than three mm-hmm. doses of nitro will always drop the blood pressure and kill your patient. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And then you jumped on there and said, uh, get a line before you give nitro because oh, of, of, of right ventricular uh, MI, um, right-sided MI. But I think one of the things that I want to push back on a little bit is I don't know that I'm worried about the RV as much as I am worrying about bottoming out the pressure and not being able to get a line secondary to that. H- how are you going to combat that with me? Well, first of all, um, if 
if it were that big a risk giving one or two nitros, then, then why do patients have nitroglycerin prescribed to them at home? Doctors prescribe nitroglycerin and say, you know, take this, take one every three to five minutes until, uh, until your chest pain disappears. And if you reach three, then call 911 if you're still hurting. There's no requirement for an IV access. You know, these guys are taking their own nitro without an IV access. And, and I think the yes with RVI, not just RVI, because uh, not every RVI patient presents this way, but patients who are preload dependent do have a, a tendency to, to drop out their blood pressure when given nitro. But, but what I think we lose sight of is the fact that it's usually a temporary problem. Um, and that uh, hypotension in and of itself, and just in those MI cases, eh, it's not something to be desired, but it's not the end of the world either. Get a line. Uh, we have IO, and if you don't have IO, tincture of time will take care of the problem. Three, four, five minutes, the nitro is gone. That's why we re-administer it every three to four to five minutes. And, and don't lose your mind over it. By the same token, we have this, you know, you see EMS protocols written all over the country that limit people to three nitros before they do something else, or three nitros before you have to call med control if you're an EMT basic, or three nitros before you start a line. And where do we get that three nitro rule from, Chris? You know, we got it from doctors who were giving instructions to lay people. It does not apply to us. The end, the end point for dosing and nitro administration for EMS professionals is symptom relief, or a systolic blood pressure of 90 or less. Right. That's and then it. We, then and there then we, is no three nitro limit. It's stupid. And then we turn around and put nitro paste on the chest. Yes. You know, and, and we put nitro paste on the chest. We think that's going to be extra thing. You ever have somebody in, in you know, uh, you ever find someone uh, who's legitimately having a heart attack that has nice, warm, well-perfused skin? Yeah. Or are they cool, clammy? pale diaphoretic with with peripheral vasoconstriction right. and and resultant really unpredictable uh, uptake of of any transdermal drug that we give but see that's you know that's the thing we were taught procedures we were taught um we were taught techniques and, and things to do but we weren't necessarily spend uh spending enough time on on thought processes and critical thinking on why those things are important and just as uh, just as uh, importantly why they weren't necessary or why they were harmful and and as a result we we still get people that go what you know you give how much nitro you know i i, I give my nitro like talking about high dose nitro and and in it there's a series of uh, I, I cite a series of case reports where people were giving nitro to severe heart failure patients with no blood pressure, with no detectable, they had a heart rate, they had no respiratory effort, uh, some of them had no respiratory effort, but they had a heart rate, but they could not get a blood pressure. And they're giving these people high doses of nitroglycerin uh, in, in uh, advanced decompensated heart failure. And people were, were flabbergasted that after giving nitro, some of these people, or uh, not just some, uh, of, um, vast majority of them regained a blood pressure you're giving them nitro and they don't have a blood pressure to begin with and then supposedly uh the nitro that lowers their blood pressure actually restored it right uh, and, and people have have a hard time grasping that concept but that just that's illustrative of the point that you know we have a really superficial understanding in ems even today of of how the the things we do are supposed to work 
Yeah, and I don't know that we've ever done any research. You know, when we talk about, you know, intubation versus uh, adjunct airways mm-hmm. or rescue airways, you know, that, uh, you know, the mortality rates of paramedics do an intubation. Yeah, where's the study? Where's the study of all the cardiac drugs that says lidocaine is the end-all, beat-all uh, for ventricular uh, ectopy? You know, th- there isn't any. And you know, it works we, on pigs. It works on pigs, rabbits, and dogs, and PVCs, but not really well for ventricular fibrillation. You know, and, and I think that there's a lot of these things that kind of give us, you know, the the these are the laws, and uh, they're really not. Which one? Did you have a favorite one that somebody posted, Kelly? That made you go, "Oh, that's a good one." Well, one of my one of my favorites. Well, aside from the ones we've hashed out before, spine board every MVC patient because of mechanism injury. Because you know somebody heard of a guy who worked with a dude that used to sleep with the ER nurse that was on duty when uh, the guy walking around at scene had an internal decapitation that no one recognized and he woke up paralyzed. But um, I, I think one of the ones that's most commonly perpetuated today is is the whole thirty second rule for intubation. Um, you still see that persist. And yeah, that is a good one. It has no basis in reality. Right. If you've adequately pre-oxygenated a patient, you don't have seconds. You have minutes. You have six to eight minutes before a well pre-oxygenated uh, adult patient with normal pulmonary physiology even starts to decompensate. Even if you had an obese patient with CHF or COPD, if they've been well pre-oxygenated, you can cut that number in half and cut it down to four minutes. Or if it's a child, cut it to four minutes. But that's still a heck of a lot longer than 30 seconds. If you're doing, you know, Weingart's uh, techniques of uh, apneic oxygenation, you don't have minutes. you got an hour and a half. You've got a long time to maintain somebody's oxygen saturation if you know what you're doing, which, which makes intubation not a crash uh, a crash desperation attempt to secure an airway, but a measured, well-thought-out process uh, with much higher chance of success. Well, I got to tell you, man, looks like we got some clinical issue going on. We do. We, you know, uh, I, w- I would urge everyone in an EMT class or everyone in a refresher class, if it doesn't pass the smell test to you, question it question and and if an exam or if an instructor has a problem with you questioning what they're teaching that's a reflection on them as an instructor any good instructor should be able to defend what they're teaching or to to lay out the evidence and say this is why we teach it this way this is what the evidence shows you know no ego involved if if a student questions me i don't i don't get upset about it i I present the facts and uh, uh the facts as we know them currently and and let them decide and that's what I would encourage just about every uh, EMS professional to do is, is always question because you never know which 50% of what you were taught was wrong. Right. And, you know, that goes into the whole uh, as well of continuing education. And medicine changes uh, daily. Mm-hmm. And you have to continue to learn. Just when you get out of school, you don't know everything there is to know about EMS. And you need to be able to read. You need to be able to research. You need to be able to talk to people. You need to be able to, to increase your core knowledge so you're able to say, well, wait a minute, that, that really isn't true because I saw this study that said this. And, and I don't know that we do that enough. We, we, look, at no, we, we look at continuing education as, a, uh, as punishment. We look at continuing education as uh, you know being sent to our room. Instead of looking at it for exactly what it does, which grows us as clinicians yep. and, and moves us from a shotgun paramedic uh, or a protocol paramedic to a clinician, you mm-hmm. gotta you gotta do it, man. You gotta do it for yourselves, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, and you know, and I've been I've been highly critical of, of the National Registry of EMTs uh, in the past. And I've no, been, Kelly, no. Oh, I've said I've said nasty things about them, but they are getting better. You know, the the uh, we've got the the new uh, core competency you know standards that they're they're looking to roll out in the next couple of years, uh, and and they're they're rethinking the way that we do refreshers and continuing education, and that's a good thing because yeah. you know you know. You remember the the Massachusetts EMT training scandal, you know, of a few years back, and, and there have been other places uh, that have had cheating and training scandals where where people were falsifying paperwork or falsifying attendance records, and that sort of thing is going to keep on happening as long as EMS continuing education is the equivalent of watching paint dry. Make it challenging, make it relevant, make it uh, make it more than what you need rather than going back and, and sitting through a class uh, that taught dogma the first time around. Right. Make it relevant to current practice and, and challenging, and, and that won't be an issue anymore. And Yeah, I'm excited um, for what the National Registry yeah. is going to look like. Maybe one of the things we should do is we should get the folks from National Registry on a show. <laughs> Because I, I think that some of the things that they're doing now really is going to revolutionize how we're certified and how <laughs> we receive our uh, continuing education. And, and I'm really excited about it, and I can't wait for it to happen. You know, the since there's new leadership uh, at the National <laughs> Registry, I think it's something to be very proud of. And I'm yep. going to go ahead and reach out to those guys, see if we can get them on a show and talk about the things that are happening because i think everybody out there uh, should hear about it but for the sake awesome. of time uh, we, we probably need to do a, do a couple of news stories and let's sure. get people out of here uh why don't you go and hit us with our first one well back revisiting a, a prior story and we told you this would happen uh the patient that was punched by the glendale arizona firefighters is now filing suit he is filing an 11 million dollar claim for for assault and uh now Glen, uh, glendale is uh can't even put the scandal behind them because now they have to uh, to um, uh, defend themselves against this suit. Now, I don't want to paint uh, paint um, James Marillo in a the light of a wrong person. The initial news story said that he was combative and postictal from a seizure, and that's why he was lashing out. We reported that when it first came out, and then when we followed up on the story, the the investigation revealed that he had said that he wanted to hurt the firefighters and he wanted to hit them so they wouldn't transport him to the hospital. So he was in control of his of his faculties when he lashed out and hit these guys. But that still does not justify delivering a beatdown on him in retaliation, which is which is what happened. And now he's suing. So let that be a lesson to you. It's not just uh, an apology from the chief and and a little time off from work, uh, an unpaid suspension that you're risking. You're also risking your department's financial stability when this happens. Um, The risks are uh, far more than just your personal ones. We're in a very litigious society, and people are looking for the opportunities the get-rich-quick schemes and you know a lot of people are suing for those things that are perceived reality and we've got to be really really careful because the individual paramedics are getting sued for actions individual paramedics are getting sued for non-action as well and we really have to be able to ensure how we're going to uh, do our business to ensure that we don't have these things and if we stay professional if we do the things that we need to do then you know no one's going to be able to come back on us and say you guys uh, didn't do a good job you didn't take care of my family member you punched my family member in the face and we just have to be cognizant of those 
things that are going to get us in the courtroom and, uh, you know, give us those challenges. Yeah, you know, you can get sued for anything. You can be the best provider in the world and still get sued. But as one thing my my, uh, colleague Gene Gandy has pointed out uh, in his career in EMS and as uh, a lawyer, good medics get sued, bad medics get sued, uh, but but pricks get sued a lot more often. And the one thing that you can control is how well you document and how you conduct yourself. Uh, and you can actually practice some pretty dadgum bad medicine and never get sued because you're a nice person and you practice good customer service. Right. I'm not suggesting that anyone do that. That's, that's a, a viable alternative. But that's, that's how these things appear in the news, uh, and that's how you wind up getting tried in the court of, uh, uh, court of public opinion, and, and that's how you wind up getting Chris and, and Kelly discussing your, your actions on a podcast is because you let your, you, you let your, your anger and your emotions uh, override your common sense and you did something silly. And then, hey, if I do the same thing, I, I'll, I'll take my medicine as well. Um, oh, I'm all over you. I'm all over you talking yeah, about that. It won't be the first time that Kelly has screwed up and, and been the topic of conversation and probably won't be the last. But that's the way it works, you know. And, and one way to defend yourself against these suits is to, uh, or at least to keep them out of, of uh, the court of public opinion, is to do the best you can and be nice to people. Uh, and likely it doesn't make a good news story when that happens. Right. Well, my, my news story is going to move a little bit close to home, and I was very saddened to hear that in St. Louis, Missouri, there was a fatal uh, med flight crash, and of course it's under investigation. Uh, the pilot was killed. Um, they're going to have services uh, this week, and yeah. we're going to try to get out there and be part of, uh, uh, of that uh, tribute to this individual. And basically, the pilot of a medical helicopter died after crashing during a solo flight to St. Louis University to pick up the crew. What had happened, uh, from my understanding, was he dropped the crew off. He needed to get some fuel, so he lifted off and got some fuel and came back. And as he was trying to land is when uh, the fatality happened. You know, and I don't know if this is the, the place to talk about this, but we have to be very, very cognizant of when we launch these helicopters. Yes. There are a lot of times we put these birds in the air for things that don't need to be flown. For things that are are close to our shift change, for things that uh, we don't just want to take downtown because it's going to take us 40 minutes or 45 minutes to do that. People die when we launch these helicopters and we, as they're trying to save people, they are putting their life at risk every time those (laughs) skids lift off the pad. We have to ensure that we're calling these these lifesavers. For things that they can actually make a difference for that you can't do in the back of your ambulance in, in a certain amount of time frame. Uh, you know, even when we talk about the golden hour, now the myth of the, we should throw the golden hour in as part of one of your uh, dogmas because mm-hmm. now they're showing that the, the, the golden hour is, is something that was just not a reality. Yeah. But I think one of the things that we need to think about is people are dying, Kelly, and uh, we got to stop it. Yep. And it's, you know, if you if you put this on on uh, helicopter EMS agencies, they want to fly as many missions as they can. Just like my employer wants to run as many calls as we can. It, it you know it, it's a business. They want to turn a profit, and that's understandable. But my employers, even though they run a business, don't expect me to be unsafe, and they don't expect me to do things just for turning a profit. You know, we run helicopters at Acadian. 
ones. Uh, and in seven years here, I've never been pressured for not calling one or, or pressured to call one and never been censured for turning one around, even if it was circling the LZ. And I didn't think it was necessary. Never been, been called to the carpet for, for canceling one. They have a good attitude toward it. And, and we need to understand that you know the the people on these air, uh, these aircraft, our brothers. We don't need to endanger them for BS stuff, stuff that we could handle by ground. We should be taking and not calling the helicopter. You know, my personal opinion. I'll go ahead and throw it out there. My personal opinion is is that a lot of these mechanism of injury criteria uh, and such for for calling for helicopter flights are based not one single bit patient care and outcomes they're based on uh, they're formulated to result in more flights period um and and we need to turn a skeptical eye to, to that sort of thing and and not be flying stuff and endangering people because helicopter ems is in and of itself it is dangerous and and i don't want someone that wears the same patch i do and practices the same profession i do endangering his uh, his life or her life because I was too lazy to to run a call at shift change right and and that's something that we need to uh, we need to do well we don't do it well now we need to, to do it differently in the future it doesn't happen a lot but I am in agreement with you of course well, that's uh, because you're a smart man yeah, whatever of course uh, from us here at inside EMS uh, our thoughts and prayers are with the family Please, and yes. uh, you know our, our deepest sympathies go out to them may god grant them peace so kelly i think it's time we put a wraps on another show so uh give them what you got and let's get on up guys we got a lot of good ems news out there uh encourage you to uh, log into ems1.com and read the ems news of the day uh some good good topics out there we didn't have time for today so uh so read them if you want to give us your opinions thoughts comments concerns suggestions uh, as always, email us at the show at ems1.com. And for co-host Chris Sevalero and myself, I'm Kelly Grayson, and thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. <laughs>